You're listening to the Music Marketing Manifesto podcast, where you'll learn how you can use direct-to-fan marketing strategies to grow your fan base and generate income from your music with no record label, radio, airplay, touring, or press. And I'm your host, John Ojaka. All right, John Ojaka here, and thanks for tuning in to episode number 30 of the Music Marketing Manifesto podcast. Um, so today we've got something a little bit different. Um, I guess I think I feel like I say that a lot. Um, and, and maybe it's true. I don't know. Or maybe it's not. Maybe they're all the same. But um, I hope not. Anyway, um, what we're going to be doing today is I'm going to basically share the audio from a recent webinar that I held. Perhaps some of you attended. Uh, the other day I held a copywriting. That's copywriting with a W, not an R. Uh, you'll, you'll hear me talk about that a bit more in a sec, Um, but a copywriting uh, for musicians webinar. Now, this webinar uh, kicked off the the release of a brand new workshop that I'm going to be holding uh, basically throughout the month of July. Now, uh, what is copywriting? Well, I guess, well, you know, I'll save most of that for the webinar, but copywriting in, in short, it's the art and science of using words to motivate people to take action. Um, you know, if that's too marketing geek for you, then uh, the long and short of it is, if you listen to this webinar, if you take the information in this webinar on board, uh, more importantly, if you become a, a half-decent copywriter, then you will be better at writing those Facebook ads, those squeeze pages, uh, those blog posts, those emails, and you'll be far more likely to get the results that you're ultimately after, which of course is to get more fans, build that mailing list, and, and make more money from that mailing list. So again, um, I, I, I'll explain. I don't want to be too redundant here, so I'll explain all of this in the webinar. But as I was uh, alluding to, the webinar kicked off the official release of uh, the workshop in the sense that registration is now open. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the webinar, then you can head on over to musicmarketingmanifesto.com forward slash CF. M again that's C F M as in copywriting for musicians. Um, and you can check it out. And if it interests you, if you if if it becomes clear and apparent, which I hope it does, how important this stuff is, and you'd really like to master the art of creating better content, and again, more importantly, um, uh, getting into the heads of your prospect and creating content that is going to be more interesting to your fans and frankly feel a heck of a lot more natural and comfortable. If that interests you, then um, then join me for the next month. It's going to be a live workshop and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to have a chance to submit your own campaigns. I'll review them. We'll give you direct feedback. Uh, we'll have weekly coaching sessions and a bunch of other stuff that, again, you can learn about uh, on that page. Again, that's Music Marketing Manifesto dot com forward slash cfm uh i thought i was gonna lose it there um anyway um uh the only thing that you need to know is that uh registration is only gonna be open for a few more days it depending on when you're listening to this it may already be closed registration is going to close on uh what is it thursday july 5th that's uh this coming thursday for those of you who are listening to this shortly after its release and that's 2018 for those of you who are listening 
listening in some in the distant future. Um, but no, uh, again, registration closes Thursday, July 5th at midnight Pacific time. I, I need to close it up so that I can prep for a few days, prep the first week's worth of uh, of lessons and get started. And this is again, it's a live workshop. So once the doors close, it's it's closed for good. So if that interests you, do uh, take a second and check it out. Um, with that out of the way, we're going to be uh, we're going to take a little break like like we do a quick little 15 second musical interlude kind of break there. Um, and when we return, we're going to be listening to the webinar already in uh, progress. I kind of cut out the first few minutes where I'm just kind of getting doing audio tests and all that boring stuff and and letting folks know, um, you know, how it works. Um but you know, do keep in mind this is a this is a long webinar. The the meat of it, the lesson part of it, is the first half hour or so, and then we go into a big long Q and A that lasts for a, another hour and a half or something like that. I you know I always try to fit in um, as many questions as possible, so it does go on for a while. This entire episode will be about two hours. Take from it what you want, but I I think you'll you'll get a lot. There's a lot of good stuff in those questions, and sometimes by listening to other people's questions and hearing the answers, you learn things that. You, you never even thought to uh, to ask. So I think you'll dig it, hopefully enjoy it, and hopefully I see a few of you in the Copywriting for Musicians workshop. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, the Copywriting for Musicians webinar in progress. All right, back in a sec. You're listening to the Music Marketing Manifesto podcast. What is copywriting? Um, you know, copywriting in a nutshell, as we're referring to it, and need to stress again, if you're just getting here, we are not talking about copywriting uh, with an R. We are talking about copywriting with a W. I can't. I, I'm I'm kind of offended that uh, that that many of you thought that that was a typo, and I was spelling copywriting wrong because probably got how many questions did we get, Scott, so far? I mean, and this is not. You know, I got so many emails about this as well, but people thinking that this is about protecting your music. What do we, two dozen? Like, how many questions have come? Quite, quite a few. I, yes. I think we should call it copywriting. Yeah, yeah, maybe. May, we'll see. I, I don't know. My brain doesn't hear a difference. I don't know. Did, did I? Are you saying it differently than I am? Well, I'm just trying to throw the W in copywriting. Writing. There we, there we go. But anyway, copywriting <laughs> is, is the art and science of using words to motivate people to take action. So all that stuff that you do. So, you know, you should be, if you're watching this, you should be familiar with the principles that I teach in, in Music Marketing Manifesto. So I, I teach people how to build funnels, direct to fan funnels to promote their music. That means we drive traffic, you know, we've got a squeeze page, a sales page, blog posts. Um, and the fundamental principle of these funnels is to basically drive traffic and build a list, build an audience, and then sell to that list. But all that stuff that you're doing, those ads, those blog posts, all that stuff, though, that's copy. You know, you're in, whether you know it or not, whether you're good at it or not, you're engaged in copywriting. And it is the strength of your copy um, that impacts the ultimate success of your campaign. It, you are you are actively 
moving people through an experience. And it is the words, it is the literal words on on the page that, uh, be it an email or be it a web page or a social media post that are are leading to those potential actions. And that's what copywriting is. And it's, it is honestly, I've been asked this question a lot in interviews over the years uh, where people ask, so what's the most important thing a musician can do if they want to be better at marketing their music? And my answer is always learn copywriting. It is the, it's the weird voodoo, the secret sauce that makes, makes one person successful. It's behind every great marketing campaign. And when you really master it, when you start to kind of, when the light bulb finally goes off and you go, oh, I, I get it. This is kind of simple. People, there, there are people out there that already need and want something. We just need to make our music align with what they already need and want and um, and present a an experience uh, or put an experience in front of them um, using copy, when you start to understand that, you kind of get. I remember, you know, when it happened for me, you get a sense of of power um, because uh, you suddenly, well, yeah, you suddenly have the ability to create an impact, to affect change, to get the results that you want. And so many of us, I think, in the music industry, um, are very familiar with that that feeling of vulnerability, where we're relying on other people to make those sales happen, to make uh, to to generate that fan base. And and copywriting is is a form of power that um, puts control in your hands, and it it you you can build the funnel, but it's copywriting that makes that funnel ultimately um, profitable. So that's what copywriting is. And again, I'm dealing with a lot of weird buttons that don't want to do what I want them to. So, <clears throat> you know, first before we get into how to write better copy, let's talk a bit about. Uh, why campaigns fail? So why do campaigns fail? Um, you know, maybe you've maybe you've done some of this. Maybe you set up a Facebook ad campaign. Maybe you've got a squeeze page where you're giving away some free music. You've you're using an autoresponder to send out emails, and you you've heard all the success stories. You know that people are succeeding with this stuff because they absolutely are. Um, every day I hear from people that are doing well uh, with this. You know, students who've taken the course and are doing well. But I I also and being just totally truthful, not everyone's success with this stuff many people set up the campaign and they sit there and 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 it doesn't do well so why is that well they fail because in a, in a nutshell they fail because the copy is not aligned with the passions and interests of the prospect but more succinctly because people are not really sure what it is that they're trying to do when they sit down to write so again many people understand the the uh, the the funnel. They understand the building blocks. They understand the basic concept of hey, I'm trying to build the list, and then when I get a, a, a get this big list, I can send them an email saying hey, you should buy my stuff. Um, and but then they don't. So you know, again, each one of these components, every single thing that you you type out on a on a keypad, every headline, every post, um, everything, you know. All of that, every single word is having an impact. And we see this when we run tests. You know, you can take one sentence and change a couple of words in that sentence, and you might you might increase your conversions by 20%. So every word has an impact. And yet when we sit down, very often when we sit down, we, we're not really clear on what it is that we're, we're trying to do. And I think that is fundamentally why so many campaigns fail. Now, it, it, you know, so if that's why they fail, well, you know, the natural question is, what is it that we're trying to do? Um, well, we are essentially trying to walk people 
people through uh, a series of psychological states. You know, it's like, um, and I'll pull up another slide here. Um, uh, it's like getting married. Uh, we don't just go from, you know, we don't just walk into a bar, meet someone, sit down and say, hey, uh, I'm John, want to get married? <laughs> you know, that would that would get us uh, some funny looks, possibly slapped in the face, you know. Um, it, there, there's a series of progressions in between meeting a total stranger and getting married and living happily ever after. You know, we have a conversation, we bond, we go on a date, we go out on more dates. Um, we, uh, you know, we move in together. We, well, we fall in love first. We move in together. We, you know, uh, get married, have kids and live happily ever after. And again, just like in a personal, uh, interpersonal relationship, uh, when it comes to our fans, there are a series of progressions that a total stranger needs to make before or they're going to become a raving fan. They don't just see something, click on it, and boom, they love our stuff because we're so amazing. There's a lot of music out there. Um, this is much more about this form of marketing. Direct-to-fan marketing is much more about um, uh, relationships. And and just like those interpersonal relationships, it's, it starts with a total stranger and it ends with a raving fan, or at least that's the optimal experience that we're after. So um, I've broken that down here in something. You should see this flow chart in front of you. And this, this process is something that I call the seven steps of the true fan journey. So first, we're going to go through each one of them and talk about them a bit. And if I can just kind of um, move some notes around here. So I've got them in my view. Um, so, you know, first off, again, we've got a total stranger, someone who's really never heard of us before. Um, the first step in these, these the seven steps of the true fan journey is, is awareness. Um, this is where a prospect sees uh, in a, an interesting post about you uh, or, or about your music more specifically. So, you know, you, you might be a Facebook ad, something you post uh, organically on a social media profile. But we make a bold claim or promise about the experience that our music ultimately uh uh, delivers and we try to align it with the pre-existing passions and interests of that that prospect there and we know what those are because we've done you know because we're targeting them you know we're targeting fans of Bob Dylan or whoever it is that we're targeting so we know something about them and you can easily do research to find out more about them but truth be told I just use a little bit of common sense I don't dig into it too deeply uh, if I'm targeting an artist chances are you know, I know something about that genre because I'm making that music. That's why I'm targeting them. And I just kind of ask myself, well, you know, what conversation is already taking place in the in the mind of a Bob Dylan fan? What are they interested in? And then I dangle a simple uh, sentence or two in a Facebook post that uh, makes a bold claim promising that my music aligns with those interests and those passions. And again, that's copy. That uh, And the goal of that copy is to move that stranger um, from, again, being a total stranger into a state of being aware. And then once they are aware of us, we take them to a landing page where they're presented with more copy. And um, this is this is the interest stage or state of, of these, you know, the seven step true fan journey. Um, and in the interest stage, uh, the prospect identifies with the sound and experience that you claim, because again, they haven't really heard it yet. So this is the, the sound and experience that you claim your music ultimately offers and they become intrigued. So this is where we use uh, a squeeze page or the copy on a squeeze page, typically consisting of a headline, uh, maybe some 
quotes to overcome uh, doubt. Um, we, we've got supporting copy, a call to action. We're essentially trying to overcome any uh, natural and still lingering resistance and really show them that, that we do, in fact, possess the qualities that they, that they are passionate about, um, you know, and, and we, that the offer of some free music, in most cases, aligns with uh, the reason that they clicked on the ad. And again, it's it's copy. Um, and once once we've got their interest, they sign up for some free music. We move that new. Um, they're not a fan yet, so that new prospect towards engaging. So they're on our list. Now Now, what we need to do is get them to engage. This is when the prospect listens to your music, and then hopefully they comment on a blog post, they send you an email, uh, or they engage with you on a social media platform. So it's the job of those emails to get you to at least initially engage. Um, and then once they have engaged, it is the job of your copy to uh, motivate that that person who is now clearly interested, they're engaging, you know, they, uh, so far you haven't blown it. You know, you've, you've successfully moved that stranger. You, you made a claim about your music. You backed it up with your squeeze page and, and you didn't blow it with, uh, with the music, the free music you sent them. And you show, showed them that you're a decent person with similar values through both your content and, uh, you know, perhaps some comment replies and things like that. And now your the goal of your copy, the goal of your emails becomes to get that very first purchase. This is where your prospect makes their first, usually small purchase. Um, this is typically an album for most of us. Uh, if you're embracing a streaming model, it might just be adding your music to a playlist. Um, but this is where uh, we really get them to take that first real step and put their their money, so to speak, where their mouth is. Um, and once they do make that purchase, we need to move that person to this stage, a very important one, where they become a fan. Um, and it is at this stage that the prospect gets value from the purchase. So all of this has been just aligning you as an artist, as a brand, as a person with that stranger's pre-existing passions and interests. But now they need to get value from uh, the purchase. If your music's not any good, if it doesn't align with all your claims so far, this is where you're going to lose them. But if your music is good, um, then then we're going to be able to move that person or make them receptive to being becoming the true fan. This is where uh, your prospect gets value. F- uh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong notes. Uh, this is where your new fan becomes a true fan and continues to support your creative endeavors by making additional purchases. So again, They've become a customer. They're on your customer list. And and now it is the job of your copy, typically a combination of emails and uh, uh, I'm losing my train of thought, uh, emails and uh, sales page copy to convince them to make some additional purchases. This could be um, future albums. It could be uh, what else can we be selling? House concerts, tickets to shows, uh, merchandise, uh, and the, the there's certainly um, upsells, things like that. Uh, you know that that's that's the next goal of your copy. And once they're making additional purchases, they become a true fan. And um, once they're a true fan, we move that person to endorse uh, endorser. You know, this is the endorsement stage of the process where that that fan who is completely engaged, spending money with you, um, in uh, they 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 uh, help 
spread the word about your brand by sharing it on social media and uh, bringing friends to your shows and helping to grow, if I can just write with my mouse, (laughs) grow your fan base, thus continuing the cycle. So these are the steps, and I shouldn't have written right through the headline there, but these are the the seven steps of the true fan journey. So now you may be sitting there kind of going, okay, I get what we're trying to do, but how do I actually do that? That's that's what, you know, many of you probably are here going, okay, you know, I want to, I get that. Now I want to know what to do. So in to be totally honest, like copywriting is a massive subject. There are so many little triggers and nuances to each step of the process that, you know, there is, you know, we'd be here for literally days um, if, if I, you know, attempted to teach you all of those. However, um, I do want to give you something that can get you started literally when we're done here, get you started on, on your way to writing better copies. So um, there's something that I use, and this is my favorite sort of copywriting, I don't know, shortcut or exercise. Whenever I sit down to write any kind of copy and I'm a little bit lost, not sure where to do, I use this exercise. This exercise is called, um, if I can only get my slides to engage, it's called the merch table method, or at least that's what I call it. And this, this goes back to um, or comes from an experience that I had uh, many years ago. So I had, I had just been dropped by Interscope. I was kind of licking my wounds in life. And I called my manager and I said, you know, um, get, me, get me out on the road. It wasn't so much that I wanted to escape my troubles. I, I think I was, you know, having a bit of a uh, crisis about my music career. You know, I had just gotten dropped. What was I doing? I wanted to get back out on the road and see if I could make this thing work. Um, and to me at that time, that meant I wanted to be profitable. I wanted to go on the road and not lose money being on the road. So he got me a, a tour opening up for Robin Trower from Procol Harum, if you're familiar with him. Um, and again, I was, I was opening up. I wasn't getting paid. If I remember, I might've gotten paid for one or two shows. For the most part, I was not getting paid. Um, but I, I was getting to get up there in front of people, uh, you know, hundreds of people every night. Um, and I was performing solo acoustic. It was just me and my tour van. I had a tour van, so I didn't have to rent it. I could sleep in it um, when I needed to and just get hotels, you know, every other night or so. And I need, but I needed to sell enough CDs on this tour, uh, enough merch and so forth to be able to pay for gas and the occasional hotel room. And I was really set on doing that. I wanted to, um, you know, just prove to myself that I could do it so that there was a reason to continue because if I if after all those record uh, deals I couldn't you know even pay for gas money to get to the next show then you know maybe maybe it didn't make any sense so um, I, I on this particular night in Petaluma California I had uh, I had done my set I got down I headed out to the merch table in the lobby like you do after a show in the hopes of um, all those fans that just absolutely love the show bombarding me and asking to buy albums and 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 get my autograph and all that stuff and as anyone who's ever had this experience knows or toured knows sometimes they come and sometimes they don't and on this particular night no one was coming up to me I had sold zero uh, albums did not make one dollar and I was kind of stressing out about it I really you know if I was going to stay on 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 course for the you know for my goal of of not losing money on this tour I needed to um 
sell some CDs and I needed to sell them fast. So I kind of, you know, I was not a particularly salesy guy. I didn't know anything about marketing. I was much younger and shy. And bear with me as I take a sip here. But I kind of, you know, tired, exhausted, and wanting this to work, I kind of just gave myself a little pep talk and said, and said, you know, John, you got to make this happen. Pull somebody in and get them to buy your your album and do that do that 10 or 15 times so somebody was some, a woman i can sort of see her in my head she was walking by she had a friend with her and somehow we we our eyes kind of caught and i i asked a question just kind of called out across the room i don't remember what it was in, in all honesty it was probably something like you you enjoying the show um and she answered something back. I don't know what it was. It was probably, yeah, you know, and she, some, whatever that exchange was, it caused her to kind of drift towards my table. And then she looked at the CDs and kind of fidgeted and was checking it out. And I asked her some other question about, you know, music or, you know, what she was into. And we started chatting. And that conversation ultimately led to not only her, but her friend buying a CD. And while we're standing there, you know, the simple act of having people at the table created a social proof of sorts. And more people came up. And by the end of that um, night, I had sold my 10 or 15 CDs. And, and a light bulb really went off for me at, at that time, which is that, you know, it's not just about being great. You can actually do things to influence the results that you're ultimately after. And there is there, you know, sales, whether we're consciousness or consciousness, whether we're conscious of it or not, sales is part of um, our success as, as artists. It's one of the reasons touring works so well. You know, yes, we're getting our music in front of people, but um, the reality is, is we're, we're having these really intense, fantastic experiences with people we're part of an experience that these people are having and and they they're they find they're infinitely more receptive to spending money with us because of it especially when we're there to shake their hand and and create that bond and our goal as copywriters or as people who are embracing online marketing to promote our music is to replicate an aspect of that experience um, and scale it up using all the automation tools that we now have um, because of the internet so what is the merch table method what i do when i sit down to write copy <clears throat> um, whatever that copy is, and I especially do this when I get stuck, is I imagine, I, I go back to that moment, um, back in Petaluma all those years ago, and I imagine the exact same scenario. So in, in this fictitious example, let's say I was targeting, and I've used this example in other talks, but let's say I'm targeting, um, <clears throat> pardon me here, clearing my throat here, I need to take a sip of water. It is hard, it is hard to talk nonstop like this. But, um, uh, uh, where was I? Um, let's, uh, where, where, what am I doing here? So, um, yes. So let's say that we're targeting with our online marketing campaign, with your, your MMM style funnel, you're targeting guns and roses fans. Well, um, you know, all we know about this person is they like Guns N' Roses. So I imagine myself, if I need to write, let's say, squeeze page copy or a Facebook ad, um, let's say, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get people to sign up for my my squeeze page and sign up to my mailing list and to, to get some free music so that I can start to build that that relationship and ultimately make that sale, you know, begin that, that whole process of moving that person through those seven steps that we just talked about. Well, <clears throat> what I would typically do is sit there, I'll fire up Audacity or maybe, you know, some kind of recorder on my phone and I'll actually record myself talking. It's a bit goofy, I admit. Um, but But actually saying the words out loud forces you to 
um, speak in a natural way, you know, because we tend to, when we, uh, as sort of newbie marketers, when we sit down and write copy, we tend to mimic the marketing that we're familiar with, which frankly is often bad marketing. That's why it stands out to us. And it's amazing how so many people full of integrity, when they sit down to take their first stab in marketing, they end up sounding like cheesy mattress salesmen. So saying these things out loud, it helps kick your brain into the right state of uh, the right frame of mind so that you uh, ultimately uh, uh, realize that you're speaking to another human being and it forces you to speak in a, in a way that is natural. So um, I'll, I'll talk out loud and I'll have both sides of the conversation. Like I said, you might want to close the doors and do this in the privacy of your own, your own home. But um, I'll have both sides of the conversation. So I imagine myself standing at the merch table desperate to make that sale and I see somebody walk by. And again, in this example, we're targeting Guns N' Roses fans. So that person's walking by wearing a Guns N' Roses t-shirt or or maybe uh, I'm opening for Guns N' Roses. So I, the point being that I know that this person is a Guns N' Roses fan and that's all I know. So how do I get their attention and start a conversation? Now for me, as a kid who grew up listening to Guns N' Roses, um, the, the, the conversation that's already taking place in my mind is that Guns N' Roses was amazing and they're not really amazing anymore in, in the sense of it's kind of like a new Star Wars, old Star Wars thing where um, you have this this brand that so many people, you know, change their lives are so passionate about, but there's almost a disdain for some of the, the later work. Um, and and so I might start that conversation um, again, knowing the conversation that's already taking place in my mind. That's what I'm passionate about is how great their music was and how it really changed at one point. I might shout out to that person as they walk by, not even aware that I'm there. Um, yeah, they were never the same since, uh, you know, ever since Steven Adler left the band. Um, won't, won't make any sense to you if you don't know Guns N' Roses, but he was the original drummer and he, you know, many people, myself included, feel that he was responsible for some of their early kind of trashy swagger um and uh i imagine this person and i say it out loud and i imagine this person kind of turning and going huh because <laughs> because that's what you do and and you know we're trying to keep this natural we're trying to mimic real conversations and i repeat myself and i say e guns and roses they they're never the same since uh once steven adler left the band and then i imagine what what this person says and she might say um uh, oh, I don't know. I love this album, or yeah, I totally agree. Whatever it is that she says, I you know I, I have that part of the conversation, and then in my mind, I imagine that you know we're now talking. So just like in that real world example, she's she uh, back in Petaluma. She, this this fictitious uh, prospect has drifted over to my merch table, and now we're chatting. And I ask her, you know, what her name is, and you know more about. Or maybe I ask her, hey, did you did you get a chance to see him live? And we talk about that. And then at some point I shift the conversation and say, you know, if if you do, if you are a fan of that old trashy raw sound of original GNR, like that's pretty much why I make music, you know, that they were an inspiration for me. You know, again, this is all sort of hypothetical. But um, uh, but they were an inspiration for me. And that's that's the goal of my band is to is to kind of capture that same feeling and sound. And I think you'll dig the music. You know, can I give you a, a free CD? Um, 
And then maybe she's sort of in my mind, she's sort of thumbing around on that CD, kind of checking it out. And I start telling her all the things that I've done. You know, um, it was, you know, uh, our, our video was played a few times on MTV. Um, it's been all over the radio, whatever, whatever my accomplishments are. I start talking about that and um, overcome that lingering resistance and then get her to take the CD and then just say, the only thing I ask is that um, if I could get your email, I'll, I'll, you know, let you know when I next come through town or, or I'll let you know when the next album comes out or whatever I would normally say. And I just talk like I'm talking to another person, close my eyes and have a conversation. Then, and again, I've recorded all this. And, and the act of talking makes the, the dialogue very natural. We're not thinking about selling. We're just thinking about people and what it is that they need to hear in order to, to, to get into the state, the psychological state that we want them to, uh, to, to be in. And once um, we've done that, uh, once, once they're in that state, I, uh, I, or, or sorry, not once they're in the state, but once I've done that, once I've recorded that, that perfect pitch, that perfect experience in, in the real world, I distill it into a one-sided conversation. So I start taking out her dialogue, combining it to one, taking out all the, the fluff and the fat. And suddenly that, remember that headline that, or that, well, it'll, it'll be a headline in a moment that, um, that first shout out that I said about Guns N' Roses never being the same. I can turn that into uh, an ad in which I say, if you miss the original raw and trashy sound of old school GNR, or, you know, again, I'm just kind of riffing here, but something along those lines, then um, you've got to check out so-and-so, um, the best rock and roll bands uh, who, who who Spin Magazine or you know, Rolling Stone called the best, um, is Spin Magazine even around anymore? <laughs> wow. Um, who Rolling Stone called the, the best uh, rock and roll band since Guns N' Roses or whatever the case may might be. But boom, I've got my, I've got my initial copy to um, take that prospect and and create that uh, that initial interest, and then remember the the conversation that took place once she came over and we started chatting about what she liked about music and you know all that I had accomplished and how she can have some free music if she gives me her email address. That becomes the copy for the squeeze page, um, and. And you can do this at virtually every um, step of the way. So you could imagine a real relationship starting. You, you you, and this fan, you really click. So after the show, maybe you go and you have a drink and you start talking about your life and your career and, and what makes you tick. That conversation that you'd have with a real person who you were really trying to um, make a good impression with and win over, that becomes the fodder for your first blog posts. And it's the job of the, uh, you just need to be conscious anyway of the fact that it's the job of your emails to move people towards that content the content's job is to create those different steps and again if we do it correctly going back to that slide we will be able to move this total stranger through each one of these steps until they become a complete and raving true fan so that is that's my sort of copywriting in a nutshell um, speech. Um, and if you, oh, actually, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. That I, I've got some results. I forgot about that. Um, sorry, my slides are popping all over the place here. Um, uh, that's my copywriting in a nutshell speech. Um, but I do actually have a few quick uh, screenshots from a recent campaign that I kind of hel helped a, a client out with. This is somebody who hired me for a uh 
consulting session and he wanted me to kind of go through his ads and kind of, you know, see if I could spot maybe where things weren't going wrong because he was paying way too much per click. And I got kind of carried away, ended up saying, hey, can I just set up some new ads for you and then sort of monitored them and and really easily with just, you know, 20 minutes worth of work or so was able to really turn things around. So this first um screenshot here. My only goal with this campaign was to bring that cost per click down and see if we could hone in on an audience. So in this campaign, you'll notice here, uh, let me just see in this column there, uh, you'll notice that uh, we both campaigns were targeting Van Morrison. This campaign here is the one that this artist had set up and he was getting clicks for $1.73, which is just far too much. Even if that squeeze page is converting at 33%, um, you know, you're, you're paying like $5 uh, a lead there. So that's just um, way too much. It's never going to work. You're not going to be profitable selling a $10 album. Well, with just a few tweaks to the copy, I used the same image set. I didn't really do anything. I didn't know much about his music. I had listened to, you know, a, a couple of 30-second clips. Um, I, I just uh, asked a few questions about his audience, who in this case was Van Morrison. I thought about what Van Morrison fans might need to here in order to want to click and and check something out and i i didn't just write one bit of copy i wrote four or five uh headlines or four or five um uh text uh or what do we call them body copy texts uh, post text i don't know i'm having a hard time finding that word um for the facebook ad of some uh, different link descriptions different headlines things like that and and i ran a bunch of split tests and pretty quickly brought that price down to 52 cents still you know could be improved but a dramatic increase um, and what this means is that if I you know all things being equal if I spent the same amount of money on this campaign as I did on this campaign I would have uh, I would generate 233 percent more revenue from this campaign all from just a couple of simple quick tweaks to some copy in a campaign that I knew very little about uh, going in. Now, here's another screenshot from that same client. You can see here we've got uh, these three uh, ads in the middle. This is what uh, he had set up, and uh, the worst of these was getting clicks now, just clicks at $9.06. It was painful to see because it's just way too much. His best-performing uh, campaign was getting clicks for $4.82. You know, just unfortunately throwing money uh, away here. Uh, this campaign uh, did so poorly it didn't even get any clicks. So, um Again, did the same thing. You can see here that the images um, in his sets are, are uh, some of this. They're the same image set at any rate uh, that I was using. I didn't do uh, anything new. I, I ran a bunch of tests. They're not all in this screenshot. So I just used the same images. Um, that he was already using so it really it wasn't about the image it was about tweaking the copy and speaking i think he was using a pretty straightforward um if you like so and so then you'll like me kind of thing which is fine and and can and does work but i tried to get a little more into the head of the prospect um uh, and you can see here i tried a sort of similar but i think i think a little more dialed in if you like approach and something that i called the whimsical approach in this case and after a little bit of tweaking uh, one of those campaigns was brought down to 77 cents and the other one was down to uh, 29 cents that means that again all things being equal if i ran um this campaign for a while and this campaign for a while um, and spent the same money on both of them again all things being equal I would make 3,024% more revenue with this campaign and that that is 
enormous and huge and it all comes down to changing the words that I used in that ad. That's all it took is changing. Well, all it took was writing better copy and then testing some of those elements. That's another thing that is typically missing uh, when people try to write copy. So I'm hoping that at this stage, you know, some light bulbs have gone off. You're, 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 you're getting it. You're a little bit excited to go try that merch table method. You're clearer on what it is that you're trying to do. And you have a sense of how important copywriting can be, how dramatic of an impact it can have on your bottom line. And if you are, and if you like to um, spend uh, the next four weeks, um, really diving into the subject. Then again, um, I just want to make sure that everyone uh, knows or is aware that I have just opened the doors to registration for a brand new workshop. This is the Copywriting for Musicians workshop. It is it is uh, registration is now live. It just opened uh, with uh, with this webinar. You should see a little box there on the left hand side of your screen that says register for the webinar. And uh, depending on where you are or if you're watching this and the replay, it might be below the video. Um, and um, yeah, uh, uh, in the, let's see, what are we going to be doing in the webinar? Um, uh, well, in a nutshell, we're, again, we're going to be spending four weeks going through each of these aspects. So focus on writing better ad copy, better, uh, better blog posts, better emails, better squeeze pages. Um, and each week, I'm going to release a block of recorded videos. And then we're going to have a live coaching session in which we go through the material in those videos, go through questions that you have. And more importantly, um, uh, you're going to be invited to submit some of your own copy landing pages, things like that for me to review and, uh, you know, uh, tear apart a bit or at least break down and, and build back up through this workshop. I think I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Like I said, I'm not aware of anything else of, of its kind, at least a copywriting um, workshop or training or dedicated copywriting um, training program in the music space. Perhaps there's something that I missed, but um, it's incredibly powerful stuff. And I think, well, while not for everyone, again, it's kind of high level advanced marketing stuff. But for those of you, who have struggled with your funnels or just want to make your funnels more profitable because you already know the importance of copy, I think I think that this is going to be um, one of the more powerful uh, programs that I've ever put together. So again, uh, check that out when we're done with this. But, um, you know, this is not a sales pitch. We've got a heck of a lot more stuff uh, to do today. We've got uh, we've got a Q&A to get through. And I know we've got a lot of questions. Scott, you there? How are we looking on questions? What's what's going on? Uh, yeah, we got a bunch. Okay, so, so it looks. Uh, not, shall we? I can finally click away from my slides. I'm happy to see it. it looks like there's a lot of you here today. That's that is awesome, um, and this is a, a good time for um, anyone listening in via a phone line, or if you're listening in. I think the one of the webinar broadcast options uh, has an option that you should see in front of you um, to raise your hand. So if you're if you're listening in um, via that the webinar broadcast room or the phone lines and you want me to open up your line so we can we can chat and I can take your questions directly. Now is a great time to hit star two on your keypad or follow the prompts on your screen to open up your line and, and we can chat. So once again, hit star two to raise your hand and we'll be taking some live calls in, uh, in a moment. Um, meanwhile, if you don't wanna be live on the call but do wanna get your question answered, then be sure to submit that question using the uh, ask a question box that you should see on the left hand side of your screen so uh, we'll start by taking a few questions there um, 
uh, you know, that have come in via text or however you say that via the webinar broadcast room, and then we'll go to the phone lines. Um, sound good, Scott? Sounds good. I think this is the first okay. time so I, I've first had question. first opportunity I've had to breathe in about uh, thirty-five minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Deep breath. <sighs> Sin from Concord uh, asks, uh, hi, "Hi, John. Although the internet is a great marketing tool, it just seems so saturated with new music. How should you make your copywriting stand out? Is targeting your potential audience key?" Thank you. Um, it's certainly one of the keys. Um, you're definitely right that there's a, you know, I think that was one of the points I even sort of ended up touching on is that there's a lot of music out there. And if you're simply saying, Hey, check me out, you know, there's absolutely no reason for a total stranger to care about your music, um, based on the sheer fact that you made music, you know, there's just, there's, there's so much stuff out there and, and, you know, simply saying, Hey, new albums out or check me out on iTunes or here's my YouTube link or whatever it is that so many musicians are doing that. That's really not going to get you anywhere. The way you stand out is by again, creating, you know, I, I think, uh, again, to, I, I like to try to liken these things back to interpersonal relationships. Um, there are a lot of people in the world. You know, what causes a one stranger to stand out and become a friend? It's it's an alignment of values. So yes, certainly targeting is huge. If you if your targeting is off, the best copy in the world is not going to work. You can take copy that converts extremely well and present it to the wrong audience, and it's not going to do anything. You know, let's use some extreme examples. And let's say you're a country music artist, and you've written, um, a fan, you've created a fantastic funnel that converts very very well when you target. Uh, Garth Brooks fans, but then you go after Dr. Dre fans, and there's a complete disconnect. They're not going to care because it's the there's a market to message mismatch. So certainly, tar, uh, uh, targeting is huge. Um, but then you know, even if you've got the right target audience, if your copy is is bad, um, you know, if your if your copy is ineffective, I should say, because it can be well written and still ineffective. Um, if it's not doing a good job of moving people through those different, you know, those seven steps, um, and actually I'm noticing that I've got a slide setting wrong. There we go. The Q&A slide is up. Um, if it's not doing a good job of uh, moving people through those seven steps, then it's going to be ineffective. So, yes, um, yes, you, you targeting is important, but how you get that copy to stand out is to, you know, I know I've already sort of said this, but I think it's just to, uh, the most important thing is to, uh, jump in or, or get your initial bold claim or promise that initial post, get it in front of someone, um, and, and make sure that you are, you're jumping into a conversation or you are aligning with a conversation that is already taking place in their mind. You know, you, you, that's, that's what we're ultimately trying to do. You, they need to instantly recognize their own interests and values in their, uh, in your initial piece of copy, that initial post that's asking for that very first click. Um, you know, it's not enough to say you're great. It's not enough to say you were on MTV or, you know, in Rolling Stone. Um, uh, there's so much music out there that is, you know, successful and accomplished. None of that really matters. It doesn't matter that it's great. It doesn't matter that you've got this great quote. What, um, it, what matters is that the experience that your music ultimately offers or that you claim your music ultimately offers, the lifestyle that it allows them to tap into, um, aligns 
with their pre-existing passions and interests. And I go back to that Guns N' Roses example. Um, Guns N' Roses fans, at least in, in my experience, tend to be passionate about um, the, the shift that the band made and how they're no longer, you know, the, the powerhouse that they once were. I'm sure not everyone agrees with that. But so that's the conversation that's taking place in, in, you know, their minds. But there's a different conversation taking place in the minds of every audience and then just, just craft an initial headline that speaks directly to that um, and you'll have that market to message match and um, and you'll be away and that you'll get that gust of wind in your sail and you can start moving that person through those seven steps of that that true fan uh, uh, journey so what do we got next scott all right uh eric in uh well i'm not sure how to pronounce this town if it's in rhode island it would be gloucester this is England, maybe Gloucester, not sure. Uh, but anyhow, Eric asks, uh, how do you write about music that isn't particularly different? It's great when uh, songs are very one type of thing and extremely that type of thing, but what about when they're just well-written songs? Well, you know, uh, and this is counterintuitive for a lot of people, I, I, my initial focus is not really about the music when it comes to the copy. I let the music speak for itself and the, I let the music be the music. But ultimately what I'm trying to do is uh, it's about aligning, again, those pre-existing interests and passions uh, of your prospect with your your brand. It's about the, the lifestyle that you represent, the tribe that you represent. And it's much more about... Um, the personal, your personal story and what makes you unique and what makes you worth caring about. And it's about trying to um, create, uh, allowing these people, it's about trying to create a bond and allowing uh, these people to see themselves in your story. Um, so was he specifically asking about blog posts? Did I, I'm not, sh- I'm not recalling all of the question. Or did he just say, how do I write about um, this stuff? I think, how do I write about but, uh, gotcha. I, 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 I can't work. Gotcha. So, so many of you know that I've kind of quietly launched an agency. I'm not actively promoting it. We're, we've got plenty of clients and we've already got a, a, a slight waiting list, um, but it's called Direct-to-Fan International. And I've been working with these clients recently. It's been a lot of fun and we've been, I, I think, kicking ass in terms of the campaigns that we're creating. And it all starts with copy. That's where that's where where things start. Is we have these initial interviews to really try and find that USP. That means unique selling proposition for anyone who's um, new around here. Um, that that one sentence that um, that that we can use to express instantly what this artist is all about um, to somebody else. You know, what's the thing that 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 a fan of your music would really say to their friends to try to um, get them excited about your music or to see what they see in it. Um, and then we start crafting, um, well, I interview the artist. I spent about an hour or two interviewing each artist and just looking for the hooks, looking for the things that stand out in their story. And sometimes it's about the music. Sometimes there's something so unique about the music they're making that that becomes the fodder for the story but much more often it's it's the life of the artist it's the it's you know art uh, music it's it's a byproduct you know it's a byproduct of of life it's it's an expression of experience so 
we I tried to capture the the motivation for that experience in a story. And so I'm I'm when I do it for artists, I'm just sitting there listening and I'm looking for that thing that's interesting. And it's usually not what they think is interesting about their career. Um, and you know, sometimes I'm thinking of one client. He's a country artist and. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, I, I don't know that, um, and maybe I'm misspeaking here. I don't know that he saw, uh, the beauty in some of his story, but when he got into the, you know, the tales of the old, the old bar and the gunfights and the, and the speed and the, that they needed to take to play eight hours in these dingy, no window country hole in the wall bars, this really interesting texture, um, emerged that aligns with the, the fantasies that many uh, fans of this particular brand of country music, you know, sort of country rock fans have in their mind. It, it's almost, it almost becomes cinematic. So that's kind of, you know, it, it, there are many artists in your shoes that are, they're great artists. They got professionally written and recorded music, but, um, uh, you know, the, the, the they don't, if they're being honest with themselves, they don't think that their music itself, you know, that there's no, no, they're not Steve Vai or the world's greatest guitar player. There's, you know, it's just solid stuff. So how do they stand out? Well, again, they stand out by finding their unique story and um, they align that story uh, with the pre-existing interests and passions of a market. Um, and I think everybody has got a story. And if you don't, then I don't know, then maybe you need to get out there and live a little bit because, because that's, that's part of what, what we're doing. But I'm yet to find someone who, who, um, doesn't have a hook, doesn't have a story. You know, you've worked this hard to make the music. Chances are that, um, you've lived a life, you've had some fun, you've had some pain, and there's something there's something there that makes you unique, and that's what we need to ultimately tap into, and, and it goes well beyond the music. So, Scott, um, I see a few hands raised, and again, because uh, I can still see people kind of coming in and coming out. Um, if you're new here uh, and you'd like me to uh, open up the phone line so we can chat directly, hit star two on your keypad, uh, and um, we can... We can chat here let's see scott um okay no never mind i was looking i was i thought i was going to say somebody was not muted but that's you um scott why don't we take a phone uh a phone call and let's open up a line okay let's go to joan in new york new york joan you're live all right we should we should stress scott that sometimes the caller id is wrong so i don't know um I'm not 100% certain if we do have a Joan, but the, at least according to caller ID, we've got a Joan All right. in, in New York. That, excuse me, is that uh, maybe Joanne? Ah, uh, yep. Yeah, sorry, it is. It is. Uh, yeah. Okay. It is Joanne. Okay. That's, that's us. Hey, right. how's it going? All right, I'm, I'm actually, hey, I'm actually, actually Russ. I'm using my wife's phone. Ran it over with. I ran over mine with a lawnmower. <laughs> um, Fair yeah. enough. All right, I bought. Yeah, it ain't that funny. <laughs> I bought, had all my musical ideas on it. I forgot to back it up. Um, I, uh, I went through John's course for Facebook advertising. At the time, I had a squeeze page from an older workshop, but I didn't have a funnel system. Right. Then I got the Music Marketing 4, and I built the funnel system. I did some more advertising. I got my clicks down to around 50 cents, um, maybe a little more. However, it kind of fell apart in the funnel in that, from what I could see, and I went through the whole course, I did everything as suggested, I really wasn't making sales. My CD baby streaming sales 
and download sales were pretty good. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that was the result of what I did, but the, um, so I don't know, maybe it would be good for this copywriting course, maybe a personal consultation would be good. One, my question is, cut to the chase, you mentioned the guy who you got down from a dollar seventy nine to fifty some odd cents. Sure. Now, was that for clicks building his mailing list, or was he actually making sales on well, that? In that campaign, that was that, that that was an initial campaign was, where I was, was completely focused. Oh, you know, I've got hey, um, I've got a bad delay happen there. If it's okay, um, Russ, I'm going to mute the line there just because the. the I can hear myself in your yeah. speaker, and we will we'll open that back up. Um, okay, there we go. Thanks. Um, so that campaign was a campaign where he was trying to drive sales. Um, I we're, we're currently work, still working on that, and my recommendation for him uh, has been to uh, shift uh, switch that up and go for leads. Um, but my initial goal in that campaign, we weren't. We there literally. We, we were not going for sales at that time. I was just trying to hone in on an audience and see how cheap I could get those clicks. The next step for us is to uh, go and, and start going after those leads. And we should be able to get leads. Uh, you know, we've got them down, the clicks down to around 29 cents. We should be able to get leads for around, you know, a dollar to a dollar and 30 cents once we start doing that. Um, that was just a recent uh, campaign, so I had the screenshots handy. Um, but in terms of what you described there uh, about uh, setting up a funnel and and not seeing sales, you know that's not terribly uncommon. Um, there are a couple of things. You know, for, for starters, you did mention that you saw uh, streaming revenue come in, and you know, streaming is something that I recommend people typically avoid if they're going to, or at least releasing the entire album to the streaming platforms is something that I typically uh, recommend people avoid because we're trying to, you know, sell music here. And if they've already got it in their pocket, then there's no real reason that they should buy. And the despite the fact that all the sort of mainstream music industry headlines are talking all about how, uh, you know, sales are dying and, and streaming's where it's at, you know, that is true to an extent in terms of the industry as a whole, but there's still an incredible amount of of uh, album sales happening each and every day. And sales for the independent artists are m typically um, uh, much more profitable. So if you got with this, with this kind of system, as you know, again, the buying triggers are very different for a mainstream artist than they are for an independent artist. When you're a mainstream artist, you're creating fairly weak bonds and relying on the hook of the song to get a person to um, express a bit of interest in, in either stream or buy um, your music. Um, we don't have relationships with these people. We don't have bonds with these people. They're not communicating with us and we're communicating back. We're making a small amount of money off of a lot of people. Whereas independent artists, you know, and you get there by the way, with very big expensive branding strategies. As independent artists, um, we we have by comparison, much, 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 much smaller audiences. You know, it might be 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 um, people. And we're trying to make a living off of that audience. And that when we are working Working with a smaller audience, if you rely on streaming revenue, for the most part, you're going to make infinitely less than you would if you relied on sales. Now, these can be um, direct sales of an album. They can be through Kickstarter type campaigns or crowdfunding campaigns. They can be through membership sites or Patreon style campaigns. Um, however you slice it, those are all sales pl uh, platforms. And so, so yeah, I, 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 I don't mean to interrupt, but I should say that 
streaming was part of it. I mean, I get a lot of download sales. Look, I get checks from CD Baby every couple of weeks. Could be 25 bucks, could be 120 bucks. It bounces up and down. Sure. I don't know how much of, I don't know how much of it um, was a result of the campaigns that I did. I tried doing a before and after like review, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I, it, I, it still wasn't conclusive, so I'm still not sure. But I do know that for the, you know, the, the um, music, uh, you know, workshop course uh, 4.0. I know that I, out of uh, all the people that I got in there, I only made three sales. Right, and how, and, so and how many subscribers? How many subscribers did you ultimately drive there? Um, for that section, probably about three or four hundred. I, from your Facebook course, I added about twelve or thirteen hundred subscribers. Wow. I didn't have a funnel at that time. Right, right. And then uh, another like three or four hundred when I did the actual uh, MMM4 course, and out of that, I only got like, you know, I think three sales. Right. Well, what that basically means is that you're converting at about 1%, which is completely um, low. You know, we want to be converting more in the sort of 4 5 6% range, but it is showing that fundamentally the process is working, and I think what is probably breaking down is something either with the copy or the targeting or both. Um, you know, all we can really do when we try to diagnose something like this is, is kind of take it chunk by chunk. So either... Um, you know, if if we're getting clicks, um, but those you know, uh, but not subscribers, then we need to take a look at the ad campaign and the targeting. If we're getting subscribers but not sales, uh, typically we need to take a look at the email series and see what's going on. So um, my advice there, and and again, you know, obviously at this stage they're engaging with the music, and so that starts to factor in as well. But what I would really be doing is taking a look at the email series and looking looking at the stats and looking to see if you can pinpoint a a stage where the opens or the clicks just drop off and then look at the content that comes before that um, and see if you can't start improving it. And another thing that you can do, um, and I've done this before and it's been really, really helpful is if I've got the funnel and just, you know, people are going through it, but nobody's buying, then I'll just create a little survey. So I'll use, you can use something like SurveyMonkey, but I'll use something like um, Google Docs. It's free and create a little survey and it'll just be three or four questions and I'll ask a person, um, you know, I'll say like, uh, you know, how, uh, hey, I'm trying to improve uh, my my um, sort of online marketing efforts for my music. And I it really helps to understand uh, what, uh, you know, the fan experience you signed up for my list. I, I just wanted to ask you a few questions. It'll only take you you know less than a minute. Would you mind uh, answering them for me? Everything's completely anonymous, something along those lines. And then I'll present them with three questions and try to sneak in a little market research while I'm doing it. But I'll ask somebody, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, you sign up for my list. Um, have you been happy with uh, the music that you've been receiving? Um, how likely, you know, another question, how likely might you be to recommend the music to somebody else? Um, uh, according to my records, you signed up, but you didn't um, uh, purchase the music. Can I ask why? Again, completely anonymous. Um, it will just really help me understand where, where I, um, you know, I can improve things. And you just look for patterns in the answers. Um, and typically, you know, and every time that I've done it, if you've got a decent enough audience um, or, or mailing list, you'll see some patterns. And it might be that they're streaming it. And it might be that, you know, they purchased it on iTunes because, you um, 
uh, it was more convenient than buying from your site, especially if the price was the same. And it might be because, you know, I don't know, the, they didn't connect with the music. It might be because, you know, there's some tone that you were using that they didn't connect with. But you're looking for that pattern, and then you can kind of course correct from there. And you know, typically that works a lot better than just guessing if the if the problem is is within the email series themselves, which is it, it sort of sounds like it does. Although the fact that you started seeing um, uh, CD Baby activity and sales and um, uh, streaming activity and things like that suggests to me that it's it's more that it w- kind of was working, but you were seeing the benefits on other platforms. But you know, as you said, um, sounds like it's inconclusive at this time. So, um, Scott, um, let's um, let's move on and um, take a few more questions that have come in via the web. And if you uh, if anyone else is listening to this and you'd like me to open up your phone phone lines, now's a great time to hit star two on your keypad. There are currently no hands raised, but it looks like quite a lot of you in here uh, listening in via the phone line. So hit star two to raise your hands. Um, if you're listening in via the web, I believe there's a, a little call to action there where you can uh, request to raise your hand and uh, we can we can chat directly like we just did with Russ. So, um, but I know we've got, what, what would you say? Like how many questions approximately do we have in there? Is it a few dozen? Like what do we got? Uh, yeah, a good bunch of them. Okay, um, okay so yeah, let's see what we can get through. Um, shoot them at me. All right. Uh, so E from Berkeley El Cerrito asks, when choosing supporting statements for your Squeeze page, is it best to use statements that praise you as an artist or that say how interesting your newsletter is or list the prizes your work has won or what? As a general, so sorry, re- rephrase that. What aspect of a Squeeze page is he asking about? Uh, so when choosing supporting statements, is it best to use um, so is it best to use statements that praise you, that say how interesting your newsletter is, or list basically your accomplishments? So when he says supporting statements, I'm thinking he might mean or he or she. Sorry, I didn't catch the name. Um, uh, might mean quotes. Is that how you read that? So um, again, if you're new here on a squeeze page, we, a squeeze page typically consists of a headline, an image, some quotes, and then a few paragraphs of supporting copy. Um, the only real sort of statements that we typically use coming from others are in the quotes, and we use those again to help overcome that doubt. Um, and um, as a general rule, we definitely want people to praise the music and not not so much, you know, the the newsletter or anything like that. Um, um, that's what I would do. I mean, I, I, you know, one thing that we haven't really spent a lot of time talking about is that testing is a big part of this as well. Unfortunately, um, sorry, I don't know. I think that sounded like unfortunately. I was saying and fortunately, it's really easy to do to, to do that. And you know, you'd be surprised. I know from talking to at least one client who tested big quotes versus just Facebook quotes from. Um, normal people. It was the normal people quotes, just the John and Cincinnati quotes, as opposed to the fancy media quotes that actually did better in a round of testing. So you just never really know what's going to do best for your audience. Um, so testing is important. However, as a general rule, I would be looking for um, quotes about your music to start. Hopefully, I understood that question um, as you as you intended it. Okay, let's go on to uh, one sec here. Uh, Dale in San Antonio asks, how can I expect to learn copywriting in one webinar? Um, well, you definitely can. Um, copywriting is a, it's a, it's really a lifelong, um, learning experience. I, I still 
study copywriting. Um, I've been working online since something like 2007. I've been doing this a long time. I've made millions of dollars in online sales, and uh, I, I still buy copywriting. I bought, I bought a copywriting course uh, last month. Um, you really just always want to be honing your skills, in my opinion, because it's the most important thing that you could ever do. And every single time you kind of hear somebody's perspective on it, you pick up another trick or a little nugget, and it helps crystallize um, the the, the process. Um, so we're definitely not. My goal with this webinar was to give you um, a, a real understanding of your goals and give you an exercise that you can use to help accomplish those goals. And then, of course, to answer as many questions as possible um, that pertain to your specific situations. But but no, um, if you do want to um, take the first step on and really trying to master this again you know i i as i've mentioned before i just re recently uh as of today uh released a new workshop called copywriting for musicians or the copywriting for musicians workshop and you can learn more about that via the um uh, the button the call to action button the little uh, register for the webinar button that you should see on the left hand side of the screen if you're watching a replay it, it'll either be there or possibly below the video depending on where you're watching it so yeah it's a it's a massive Massive endeavor, to be totally honest. Um, and again, before we take the next question, again, I see I see a ton of you here. There, it looks like we've got you know well over a hundred people on the phone lines or something. But um, no hands raised. So if you'd like us to open up your phone lines and chat, now is a great time to uh, hit star two on your keypad, and uh, we can we can open up your lines. Um, so uh, what else we got, Scott? Okay, so Neil had to leave uh, for an appointment. He wants to know, will there be a replay? There will. There will be a replay of this. Um, it should go up, depending on how well all these things work. Um, it should go up as soon as uh, this concludes. The same link that got you to the webinar will get you to the replay, and then I'll send out an email with that as well. Okay, Cecily in Bristol says, uh, Hi, John. Do you have any tips for writing good copy quickly? I know that I tend to spend hours getting perfectionist about every word I write, and as many of us are probably lyricists and as artists perfectionists, I'm guessing it could be a common problem for us all. Um, so, yes and no. Um, on the one hand, sloppy copy doesn't... Um, sloppy copy, that made me giggle. Um, sloppy <laughs> copy doesn't... Um, uh, you know, isn't always the best approach. Um, you know, we do kind of usually need to put some some care into this stuff. However, um, there's a new tool called Create uh, Dynamic Creative in Facebook, and um, as I, I'll kind of show you in the workshop, and if you're an Insider Circle member, there's a lesson on it in there. It's really been fantastic. It allows you to. Um, very quickly uh, essentially split test a whole bunch of elements so you can add up to five different images five different headlines five different um, text sections five different link descriptions five different buttons and and then you run a campaign and Facebook kind of shuffles them all up uh, in different combinations and then you run a report to see which uh, creative elements got you the cheapest clicks so while while I'm not saying you should just be sloppy about it 
it does allow you to kind of go, okay, so what are these new young fans or whoever it is that you're targeting? What do they ultimately uh, care about? And just do your best, write five headlines. And what's going to happen is pretty quickly, Facebook, their Facebook's going to shuffle them up uh, and they're going to recognize, or, um, and again, I should, I should clarify, I keep saying headlines um, in an ad. It's really that, that basic post copy, the main text area that's most important. Um, but you do want to shuffle everything up and you're going to see one or two elements. You want to run an ad for three to five days. It does take a little while. You can't make your decisions too quickly because um, Facebook's algorithm needs time to, to shuffle things up. Um, but uh, once you've um, run, the, sorry, my brain is um, full of holes this morning, uh, three hours of sleep. But once once you've done that, once you submit those um different elements really pretty quickly again uh, the point being that you can can just kind of sit there and type things in and just take your best stab at it and then run that ad and then one or two headlines will uh, or text sections or or call to action buttons or, or link descriptions will rise to the top as your best performing elements and then you can go and create a new campaign taking those best performing elements and run that if your prices are still too high then you can take those and then create four new elements elements in a new campaign and shuffle those up and that very simple quick split testing process allows you to to pretty effortlessly hone in on some some winning copy and then once you see what's working um, and which audiences are working and you can also run sort of demographic reports there um, then you you kind of have a good sense of things and you take that winning text copy and you use that as the basis for your squeeze page headline and and really the entire funnel so so um, while again you don't want to be sloppy in your approach to writing copy. You really do need to get into the head of your prospect. You don't need to labor over it. Um, and it. And to me, these days, I'm really just starting everything with one of those kind of um, dynamic creative campaigns. And I'm just looking for cheap click prices to begin with. And uh, once I hone in on those cheap click prices, then I, I kind of know, I get a sense of, okay, this is what's working. This is what people are responding to. And I know how to craft the rest of the copy. So for many, it would make sense if you want to shortcut the whole process, but can afford to spend 20 or 30 bucks on some testing, run a Facebook ad campaign to, um, you know, just to your website. Don't even worry about the conversions yet if you don't want to. And just see what's getting you the cheap clicks. Get your clicks down to 20 or 30 cents or so, and then take the elements that got the cheap clicks and create an entire funnel around that because, you know, you know uh, that that is at least working kind of rambled there but I, I think that answers it okay uh tyler from Whittingham asks, how do you constantly come up with new copy content topic subjects uh subject titles and body on a con- constant basis sorry i didn't hear all of that can you please repeat that how do you constantly come up with new copy content topics subject titles and body on a constant basis well, I, you know, to some extent, I don't come up with it on a constant basis. You know, that's the beauty of the funnel. You do a lot of work up front. And then while you do have to refresh things, for the most part, you you know, you can get a lot of life out of that. I've ran different variations of the same campaign for years sometimes. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you don't need to also be kind of communicating with people in real time and sending out those blog posts. You know, it's not just 
it's not all about automation that there needs to be a pulse there if you're going to keep those people engaged and turn them into those those long-term true fans that keep spending money with you um um in terms of you know how i come up with the the copy to begin with it it really starts with that usp honing in on that 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 uh, target audience and um Every campaign I ever work on, the first thing I'm trying to do is establish a USP, something that that um, uh, that I, I can say in one or two sentences to a, a friend and say, you need to check out uh, Joe Blow. They're great because, and whatever follows that, that's my USP, my unique selling proposition. And it's not just, they write really good songs. You know, it's the, it's the true, unique, and special quality that makes a person stand out and makes them worth spending time uh uh, paying attention to and um, then uh, every, all of the copy all of the decisions I make sort of start there they're all hung on that framework the framework of that USP now when it comes to creating copy over the long run um, you know all you can really do is pull from your life and look for those just as as I look for the hook in that initial interview um, with uh, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm really concentrating on too many things here, but just as I look for that uh, hook in that initial interview with a client, I'm looking for the hook um, as a client lives their life. You know, what what did they, did, did they have an interesting show, an interesting tour, an interesting experience? And we're just looking for those moments, you know, that are sort of share worthy and using all the same principles of, you know, what's it going to take to get a person to care about the show that I had last night and, and finding, you know, and sitting down and ultimately writing about it. You know, once we've converted the real work again, it goes into that funnel. Once we've converted that person in, into a true fan and they are, they are with us for the long haul and they're spending money with us, you know, it becomes less dire that we snag their attention because we've already got it. So we just really want to be putting out valuable stuff that is as much about them, meaning it aligns with their interests as opposed to just being about us. Nobody needs to hear that you're in the studio again. They really want to hear about the 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 human side of of your story. They want to live vicariously through you because they're now a member of your tribe. So again, the the approach to ongoing copies a little bit different than the approach to uh the funnel copy but um but that's kind of the long and short of it okay dale in brookfield says i am copywriting several songs at one time can i copyright publish work and unpublished <laughs> work at the same time yeah. So once once again, um, folks, this copywriting with a W. Um, totally recognize that you need to go and um, uh, copyright your music, but we're here to talk about copywriting. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but I do I do appreciate you taking the time to be here. Okay. Um, my genre. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, I whore in Ukraine. Um, uh, kid. Asks, uh, he says, my genre is EDM. This genre is mostly promoting at live performances. Would MMM strategy be effective at that case also? Are there any successful cases already, please? Um, so, sorry, the question there is, will will copywriting, was, was it MMM or copywriting? What was the question there? Um, well, it was MMM. Uh, so would MMM strategy be effective 
It, it's or, uh, this, this, this kind of I think too many people suspect that there's some trick to this stuff. You know, this there's no trick to this. This is when we're selling any if you're selling a product to consumers, then the direct to fan strategy um, can work for you. Now, MMM is tailor made for musicians, whereas uh, typically with other products, you know, if you're selling, I don't know, um dog food or whatever the case might be you know you're aligning with a problem solution kind of sort of paradigm or whatever you know you've got a person who's got a dog that dog's hungry it needs they need food or it's gonna die and they want the best price or the most healthy food or whatever the thing is and you're just trying to um, be the solution to their their problem that's not really what's happening with music um and and so MMM is tailor made. Again, it's sort of a beautiful thing in a way. MMM is designed to tap into the uh, the pre existing um, interests and passions. It's a more positive flow. We're trying to tap into something positive as opposed to trying to agitate a pain point. Um, so so it is a bit different. But with that said, any any if you've got uh, a, a product that people will buy then this strategy can work for you certainly i've seen edm artists come through i don't actually have like some big list of how different artists have fared or anything like that or i I barely keep track of even the many testimonials that come in um but uh but certainly i have had edm artists come through and as long as the edm crowd will spend money on music uh, and you know frankly some audiences don't spend as much money on music as others but as long as they will then this approach can work you're talking about building a fan base um, people that care about what it is that you do and uh, opening up a line of communication, creating a tribe and then monetizing that tribe uh, through or by asking them to spend some money with you from time to time. So, um, you know, it, it really can work. I'm yet to see a genre where um, this stuff, you know, can't work. Okay. Kelly in San Miguel, California, asks, uh, can you explain the difference between clicks and leads? Uh, a click is when somebody clicks on, let's say, an, uh, an, a Facebook post, something like that, or an ad. Um, a lead is when someone enters their name and email address into a form and signs up, uh, uh, usually for some free music, and lands themselves on your mailing list. So, yeah, a lead is a subscriber. A click is a click, a visitor. So um, we're going to take a lot more uh, a bunch of additional questions. Um, uh, again, I just kind of wanted to uh, put out um, uh, another opportunity for you guys to uh, chat on the phone. Again, um, uh, uh, if you're listening via the phone lines, hit star two to raise your hand. We can open up your lines. I mean, come on, guys. We got a ton of you here. There's a ton of you. And I, I don't know. Everyone's feeling shy. We got everyone submitting questions via the web, but no hands raised. So if you, if you want to chat on the phone lines and uh, hit star two to raise your hands. Um, I guess, you know, we can call this a last call. We'll be here for a while answering questions, but we can call it a last call in the hope that it motivates some of you to hit star two on your keypad uh, so we can chat because it's fun to chat. I want to talk to people. Um, so somebody, yeah, so, it. yeah some, <laughs> somebody, somebody go and, and, and jump on the phone lines with us. Um, all right. Uh, let's, let's see. Um, it looks like we got one hand raised. That's cool. We'll, we'll get to you in just a sec. Let's take two more questions, Scott, and we'll head on over to the phone lines. Okay. Um, can, uh, so 
N Yexty in LA uh, asks, can you give two to three examples of the approaches we can take when scripting our copy? The approaches. Well, um, let's see. What kind of approaches in what kind of copy? You know, that's a it's such a broad question that I'm a little bit struggling to to um, align that with something. I mean, there are a, a few established narratives, you know, that can work very, very well. So there's like the phoenix from the ashes kind of narrative and again you know we're people here we're not fictional stories so for the most part i'm listening and just looking for the hook and that's the story that i'm taking but you know i do probably more instinctively than anything else try to align some of these stories with with uh, proven narratives you know a little bit of script writing experience probably doesn't hurt in this sense um you know, there's the reluctant hero. There's the there's the phoenix rising from the ashes. You know, these kinds of things. So, like the phoenix from the ashes is the. It's kind of my story, frankly. It's the it's the um, uh, musician with the big record deals. You know, uh, biggest new artist signing in history, only to get dropped and re-signed and dropped again and re-signed again and go independent. You know, and that's kind of my sort of musical story. And in MMM, you hear the same story, um, but it ultimately led to MMM um, with the um heroes uh or the the reluctant hero the hero's journey it's that that artist who was doing something for uh themselves you know they weren't trying to be famous and then something kind of took off and and all on its own and this this success was kind of found and that tends to um i guess people align or like that idea because there's there's no ego in it and it'll, it makes it safe to sort of um back another human being and you know there are a lot of different kind of st uh, story arcs and you know you can google sort of um uh, uh, story arcs for script writing, things like that, and kind of come up with some of these. But, you know, I don't really consciously do that. I just sort of sit down and I listen for the individual artist's story and what is unique about them. What, how did they cut their teeth? Um, you know, what have they, what have they learned um, in, in this life, in this pursuit of making art? And, and I tell that story and I, and I find, I look for the narrative that's most interesting and that's what i hone hone in on so long as that narrative aligns with their ultimate usp but more often than not you know we develop the usp based on the narrative so um you know i, I guess that's that's perhaps not as mechanical of an answer as you were looking for but it, it is somewhat honest but if you do really want to sit there and kind of maybe maybe you're uh, a writer and you like that idea of kind of being a little more conscious about it then then do a little bit of research i don't have a sort of cheat sheet handy for them unfortunately but uh, uh, do a little bit of research on some of these sort of proven script writing uh, arcs and then see what aspect of your own story aligns with with one of those and again i mentioned two of them the sort of phoenix from the ashes the the reluctant hero and and i know there are a bunch of others out there but those are those are two that i've used um so I see a few hands raised. Scott, you want to take another another call? All right, let's do it. We've got a caller from Bishop Ranch, California. You are live on the call. Hey there. Uh, my name is Daniel uh, from California. Um, my question going? is, uh, what is the best advice uh, for somebody just starting out um, with uh, in the, within the hip-hop hip industry and um, – where to focus, I guess, maybe the money spent on marketing. 
Well, I think I think my advice, you know, really would be the same for more or less any genre. Um, you, you know, the first thing you want to do is get some music together, and I'm I'm assuming you probably already got that. You got your music together. Correct. Right. Right. So, what? There's a couple of ways you can go, and. You know, if you if you're really new to this and you just kind of maybe you're on a budget and you want to tread carefully, I, I like the idea of, you know, I do recommend that you get a funnel in place. You build a squeeze page, you get an email um, autoresponder up and running and you write a series of emails that's designed to convert people. But I like this idea for people that are on a budget of just spending five dollars a day while you test, you know, kind of just commit that budget uh, or or. Dedicate that budget to education, so to speak, and start spending just five bucks a day. Run traffic campaigns. Don't um, go after conversions because that budget's not big enough to uh, usually that a five dollar a day budget's not big enough to um, uh, for Facebook's algorithm to be able to hone in on conversions. Um, but so so create traffic campaigns and start running traffic uh, and use dynamic creative and and. Um, and start testing copy and squeeze pages and things like that. But don't so much worry about the instant return. Um, spend the money regardless, because what's going to happen is you're going to start to build instincts. Again, you're going to be testing all the all the time. And, and after a few months of doing this, you're really going to start to see some patterns. Like every time I go after an older audience, things work. Or every time I, I use um, sort of, uh, if you like, this artist then you'll like me copy as opposed to more whimsical copy or whatever whatever is the case for you you know every time I take this one approach it tends to work um, and on top of that you'll start to get uh, feedback from people they'll start leaving comments they again they will subscribe some will buy and you'll start to just get a sense of 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 what you're doing before you go and you commit the big dollars to the budget so I like the idea of a, a very small um, test budget uh, for the purposes of education and just starting to build that initial base and get a feel for things without it really um, forcing you to risk a ton of money. But I mean, the, the basic place that I recommend everybody start is to build that list to um, uh, dedicate whatever money they can to driving traffic to a squeeze page and start building that audience. Because when it's time to release that album or make that big push or launch that crowdfunding campaign, your sales are all they're all going to be in direct proportion to the size of your audience so whenever we get there or however we get there the ultimate goal we need an audience if we're going to um ever be able to generate the revenue that we're after and so um you know my ultimate uh, advice is no matter what genre you're in start building that audience and that means driving traffic uh with advertising and uh, towards some kind of a landing page where you can build that mailing list you will never have an asset more valuable to your entire career than a mailing list that if if you build it right and and people dig the music you're going to have an asset that pays bills for the rest of your life so is that is that too vague of an answer no, that's perfect. Thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for thanks for being on the call. Um, all right. So we've got one more hand raised there. Scott, you want to open up that line? Okay. Uh, let's go to Mark in L.A. Mark, you're live. Hey, John. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. Sorry, I'm at the gym. I just thought I'd touch uh, in here. Cool. Um, my question is, or my my my. My question is, I'm, I am an Inside a Circle member. I did graduate from 4.0. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a breath of fresh air because copywriting, I think, is my downfall. 
Right. Um, but as far as as far as mainstream and genres, I've tested and found that people that make it through my funnel usually get to the basically the the the, the buying page and they decide to seek elsewhere, go to Spotify, go somewhere else and stream. Right. Um, but do you find that more on the mainstream rock level, I've had I've actually asked a question in the impact circuit, but on the mainstream rock level, do you find that people, because the competition is so tough, they don't buy and go toward like, you know, uh, streaming and, you know, other ways? I mean, is it just a copywriting thing or is it just because of the, of the genre of music or what's your thought on it? I think that it's mostly the state of things. I mean, you know, if we're so again for people who don't necessarily know what Mark's talking about, um, you know, in my course, Music Marketing Manifesto, I teach people how to build these online funnels. And again, that that consists of um, a specific uh, type of website that has a, a where we and we drive traffic using Facebook ads to a. Um, uh, squeeze page. A squeeze page is a simple one-page website where there's a headline and there's some supporting copy. People sign up. They get some music. They're now on your mailing list. The mailing list takes over and builds that relationship. And and in that mailing or in that series of emails that we pre-written and programmed are a few requests uh, that people buy your music. And what you're describing is really, unfortunately, extremely common. I've, I've had it happen a lot with clients where they're doing well, they're making sales, things are converting, and then they go and release the same album to Spotify and then all of a sudden the the sales stop. And it makes, you know, very good logical sense if they've most people have a streaming account of one sort or another these days. So if your music's already in their pocket, why should they buy? They there really is no reason to buy. However, if they're a fan and remember, we're building relationships. We're not just building a brand here. We're not Beyoncé. We're we're a small business, so to speak, and we're building relationships. And, and, and when we built those bonds, when we have 5,000 friends on our list, those people will support us in more or less any way that we ask them to. They want to see us um, survive. We're only asking for a small amount of money for, a, you know, especially if they're true fans of our music for a tremendous amount of value. Um, so for the most part, you'll find that they'll support you in any way that you ask them to. However, if their music's already on in their pocket, they think they're supporting you by listening to it. And it makes a lot of sense that sales will drop off. Now, there are things you could do in the copy to explain that. You can explain that, that sort of proposition. You can explain the fact that, or that dynamic, you can explain the fact that by streaming, they're hurting you. But I don't know, that's kind of a weird trip to put on your fans. You released it to the streaming platforms. So um, while, you, while, you, while you might be able to influence things a little bit, um, I, you know, I think it's just the, the, the fact of having the music already available for free um, that is, is having the impact. Um, I think that it becomes easier with different dynamics, uh, or sorry, not different dynamics, different demographics. For example, if you're targeting a young audience, those people are, you know, some of these people grew up with streaming. Um, they don't even remember a time when they used to buy music. And so you're going to obviously, that's going to be a very natural thing for them. The second something piques their curiosity, they're going to open up that streaming app. Whereas uh, older demographics who still maybe do listen to CDs and, and people I see it every day with clients, people are still buying a, a 
heck of a lot of CDs, particularly in those older uh, genres, at least from independent artists they are, um, you know, they're not maybe going to be as quick to turn to Spotify. So the demographic can can ultimately impact things. But, you know, my best advice, and this is for people who want to embrace this kind of marketing model, is to not release the entire your entire catalog or your entire album to the streaming platforms. Um, you know, you do, uh, you do want to be there. It's how people consume music. You want to be, uh, have the ability to be, or you want your fans to have the ability to, uh, add you to their playlist and engage with your music in the same place that they engage with all their favorite artists. So you do need to have a presence there, but if you release the entire album, then there really is no reason that people should buy. And I, th- you know, I think that's, you know, I've seen it a lot. I think that's what it sounded like Russ was experiencing earlier. And it sounds like it's what, what you're ultimately experiencing. If you're seeing the people engage there, but they're doing it on streaming. I think that that makes a lot of sense. So my advice would be on the next album, at least don't, don't release the entire thing to, um, Spotify release one, two, three songs, you know, the, the big air quotes here, the singles, so to speak, and hold the rest of the album back and maybe create some bonus tracks to uh, further incentivize, um, the, the fans to purchase the album through you as opposed to Spotify and explain in your copy as well that it's really, and and you can do this when you haven't put the entire album out, uh, you know, that's really important for artists, um, that we keep sales going because there's just, you know, at, 0.06 0.06 cents per stream there's just not much money in in streaming it is there but if they dig it you'd you'd appreciate it if they if they bought the album and, and kind of take that that approach um so I, I don't think it comes if people are doing that i don't think it's a result of failed copy or anything like that i think it's just the sheer dynamics of the situation cool all right all right well thanks, well, thanks for, John. thank you i really really appreciate you being here today um so uh, let's, let's go rapid fire on these questions, Scott, the, uh, we've been, you know, we've been going for a while now. Um, I think well, we've been going for about an hour and a half or so. Um, we'll, we'll probably sit here for another 30 minutes. Just I'll answer as many questions as I can. Um, I do want to kind of say one more time to anyone who's gotten here a bit late. Um, really excited about the fact that, um, I've got this new workshop. I've just launched it this morning. Um, this webinar essentially marks the kickoff of the 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 new webinar registration is open now you should see a little box on the left hand side of your screen that says uh, register for the webinar when we're done here check that out see if it's right for you it's going to be a live four-week workshop in which we really dive into um, trying to master uh, the art of, of writing effective copies so if you like what you're learning today if you like what you're hearing today if the light bulbs are going off and you, and you get it and you want to become better at it or maybe you've created a funnel but you've struggled to get things to ultimately um uh, convert as well as you like them to, then, uh, you know, consider uh, joining me for the copywriting for musicians workshop. I think you'll dig it. Um, but, uh, Scott, let's go, let's, let's go rapid fire on some questions. All right. Rock and roll. We got Gene in San Diego. Gene says, uh, what do you think about including copy in the sales page? It says something like this album is not available on any streaming platforms. Yeah, I like that. I like that a, a lot, actually. I think creating that sense of exclusivity is um, is really powerful. Certainly, um, that's one. Exclusivity is one of the very well-established sales triggers uh, that we can use to help influence sales. So I think that's great. 
Okay, we got uh, Michael in Westmoreland who asks, what is the minimum daily spend for conversion traffic? So for conversion traffic, again, just a little background for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about. When you create a Facebook uh, ad campaign, you set or you pick an objective. So are are you trying to get conversions? Are you trying to get um, uh, traffic? Are you trying to get engagement? And ultimately, if we're if we're driving traffic to a squeeze page, our, our real goal is to build that list. So what we want is conversions. However, uh, Facebook needs at least about five uh, actions per day in order for its algorithm to really do its thing. Um, because when when we select, let's say we target Bob Dylan fans and we create an ad, we're not Facebook's not just going to serve our ad to all Bob Dylan fans equally. It's not like they're going to just kind of alphabetically take all their people that like the Bob Dylan page and then just start going in order from you know one, two, three, four, five. What they're going to do is. They're gonna they're gonna randomly distribute your ad to Bob Dylan fans, and their algorithm is gonna take a look at all the people that take the desired action, whether that's conversions or or clicks, and they're going to um, start looking for patterns. And when they see those patterns, they're gonna create a segment, a sort of top tier of of that audience. So the top tier, the most targeted segment of that Bob Dylan audience, and they are going to um, serve your ad at least first to that top tier. And then after you kind of cycle through that top tier, they're gonna expand to a second tier and so forth. And that's where we start to see ads start to um, dip in performance when, when the reach of your ad starts to expand beyond that 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 top tier now in order for the algorithm to do that to start to spot those patterns we need to see at least um uh five uh actions per day and so if you're only spending five dollars per day but you've targeted conversions and you're getting and you're spending a dollar fifty per conversions you're not getting enough conversions each day for facebook's algorithm to be effective and the more actions you get the more effective it can ultimately be and so if that's your budget um of you know if 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 you're very limited i would say you go for traffic instead um, because you can still make traffic convert it's just you know the algorithm's not as dialed in um but it's all you can really do with a small budget so in order to where i where you can pretty safely start to shift towards conversions is uh if you want to be really safe 15 bucks but you can really start around 10 bucks but what all again what that means is you need to be getting at least two conversions per day um and if you fail uh, if you're spending ten dollars that is and if you fail at that you know one or two being off by one or two is not going to be the end of the world but if you fail at that um uh then you know your your the algorithm's not going to be dialed in as much as you need it and the campaign's probably not going to work so um i i think a safe place to start's around around 15 bucks 10 bucks is acceptable if you're going for conversions um because again our while our target is about a dollar per um subscriber uh, you know sometimes it's going to be a dollar 50 you know something dollar 30 dollar 70 something like that especially as the campaign dials in because usually things start off a bit expensive and after you run the ad uh, for three four or five days uh, the prices start to drop and um the costs come down. Um, so you need that little bit of buffer so you can still get the conversions in those first few days um, before the prices drop into range. So 10, 15 bucks is the short answer. Okay, we've got Sean joining us bright and early from Melbourne, Australia. 
Sean asks, would you see better results via video or written copy throughout the funnel? Uh, do I see, receive, uh, so repeat that for me again one more time? Would you see better results via video or written copy throughout the funnel? Right. As a general rule, written copy, but it's not because written copy works necessarily inherently better. It's because... It, it's because not everyone has charisma, frankly. Um, and, you know, in order for video to work, it really needs to be pretty interesting. And and I think that it's easier for the masses. You know, if I take a thousand students and teach them to set up campaigns, it's easier for uh, we'll see better results. We'll see more people be able to create an effective headline than we will be able to create a compelling video. But if you are one of those people that really is charismatic, then videos absolutely, you know, can absolutely convert very, very well. More often than not, though, when I've seen people create video squeeze pages and things like that or use video ads, um, performance has suffered. But again, there are, it really depends on who you are. If you're not a great writer, but you're charismatic, I think video can be an absolutely acceptable way to uh, deliver your message. And even though we're getting out of the realm of the written word, it's still ultimately copywriting because you're making conscious decisions about what you're saying to move that person through, uh, again, those seven steps of the the the, the true fan journey. Um, and so it's still sort of, you know, it's very much considered copywriting, even if it's you riffing in a video because you're doing it deliberately. So next question. All right. Uh, Stephen in London says, uh, thanks, John. How valuable is it to communicate with fans without offering anything for sale, say, in between releases? Um, it's it's really important if you want to continue to make money from those subscribers over the long, the long run. I mean, you can theoretically create a funnel and just make your profits, <clears throat> you know, early in the funnel and automate everything. And then just sort of let, let the fan experience die and potentially still make money. Um, but it's a mistake because uh, what our goal is is to make, you know, to increase that customer value and get it up as high as we possibly can. Um, <clears throat> and and that means that we need to regularly communicate with, with these fans. So how often you do it is really up to you. I have artists that send out emails every single day. And frankly, th those are some of the more successful ones. It's it, it takes a thick skin because you're going to get some kickback when you do that, but you're also going to see more sales. You know, there's an old adage in marketing circles, which is um, the number of sales you make is going to be in direct proportion to the number of times you ask for the sale. So frequent uh, and there are people who believe, you know, that every email should ask somebody to buy something. I don't believe that. I'm I'm more a fan of creating a sort of long term, healthier um, tribe. And I, you know, I kind of like the idea of, so you've got your funnel and I like the idea of sending out a real time, uh, broadcast once or twice a month. And I, and then running a promotion, um, once every quarter, you know, so four times a year. So, um, and, and you can kind of, depending on how you schedule that, you know, you could, you could think of that as, uh, three bits of just free content where you're not asking people to buy something for every one where you are. Um, and when I say one, that's not necessarily one email. It'll, it'll more tend to look like, you know, you send out, um, a blog post two weeks later, maybe a, a video two weeks later, another blog post, then, 
two weeks later, you're running a promotion and you're sending out three emails to push some new product or something like that. And then that cycle kind of continues. And that's a formula that I like, but there are no rules here. It's really whatever keeps those sales coming in and keeps your list engaged. Um, you know, that, uh, but, but to answer your question, it is really important that you are not just asking people to buy stuff all the time. Um, cause who wants that, you know? Hmm. All right. Kurt in Baton Rouge asks, can this be used for all music types? Uh, it, for the most part, yeah. I mean, it, this, again, we're talking about maybe two different things. There's MMM and there's copywriting. Copywriting, copywriting, having that skill as a copywriter can be used for all kinds of things, even interpersonal relationships, believe it or not. Um, again, it's the art of kind of knowing who your prospect is, what it is you want them to do, and then how to frame a message so that they do that thing that you want them to do. Um, so you, copywriters can get pretty geeky in this stuff, and, you, you, and you'll see... You'll see an application of, of some form of copywriting in all all kinds of different areas, including interpersonal relationships, um, which you know can arguably get a bit creepy. Um, but uh, in terms of the direct-to-fan marketing um, uh, approach that I teach in MMM, it can work for basically any artist that is uh, that is selling anything. So long as there's a market for the kind of music you make, um, and you have recorded music and you're selling to the consumer, then, then it can work. Um, and the distinction I make there is that some people are, uh, you know, writing their song writers and they're not selling direct to the consumer. And it's not really a strategy designed for, for, uh, folks like you. It's designed for people that are trying to build a fan base for their product and sell to those fans. Okay, Tony in Madrid says, when I did copywriting many years ago, I learned from my studies first and then through practical experience that long copy outperforms short copy. I used to sell information products such as business opportunities, books, and manuals offline as in those days the web was still in its infancy. What is your experience with selling music online? Is that the same? Um, my opinion is, I know what you're talking about and that's, there's definitely a lot of truth there. My opinion is that, um, we, you take the time you need to tell the story that needs to be told. Um, so again, get into the head of that prospect. What is it that they need to hear? If you can do that in three sentences, fine. If it, if it takes you 2000 words to do it, that's also fine. Um, if people are tuning out your message, then it's too long. And if people, and if it's converting, then it's just right. And, and so I don't, I don't stick to any particular rule. I, I, I ask myself what it is I'm trying to accomplish. I ask myself, what story do I need to tell to accomplish that? And I start writing. And again, you know, sometimes uh, that copy is long, sometimes it's short. I guess as a general rule, just to give you something a little more specific, compared to what we do in a lot of other spaces as as direct response copywriters, not in the music space, I think the music copy tends to be a bit shorter. We are dealing with a sort of shorter attention span uh, kind of medium and, and, and crowd. So as a general rule, shorter copy as compared to what you're used to. Um, but I also, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting there counting the characters. I'm just telling the story that I need to tell. Okay. Michelle and Winston Salem, can you speak more about how to test? How, I'm sorry. What was the, uh, it sounded like you got cut off. What, what did you say there? Can you speak more about how to test? 
Ah, okay. I'll be brief because I think I kind of answered this uh, a bit earlier. But in a nutshell, well, there's a couple things you can do. My favorite way of testing right now is using Facebook's new tool called uh, Dynamic Creative. Um, and again, I'll be kind of covering this in the copywriting workshop coming up. Uh, well, that's again now now live, and you can register via the link uh, to the side of this webinar broadcast. Um, uh, but um, uh, what was I saying? Um, to, so Dynamic Creative is a tool that allows you to split test many different um, uh, elements of an ad all at once. And Facebook sort of shuffles those elements up and then gives you, you know, you run a report, look at the winners and then and then create a new campaign using just the winning elements. So that's one simple way of testing. And then I base my entire campaign off of the message that seems to be um, connecting with people in terms of split testing, uh, landing pages. Um, so I use a script. It's a little custom coded script that allows me to kind of, uh, create one link that shuffles through one, two, or well, not one, I guess two or three pages. So I can create two or three nearly identical, um, uh, squeeze pages and this script is available through the insider circle that's my mastermind program um, but you can easily code something like this um, and I'm sure there are other plugins and things like that available but I'll basically uh, go and create three nearly uh, identical squeeze pages I'll just kind of clone each one copy the text paste it into another one but I'll put a unique web form from Aweber the sign up form because um, each web form has its own stats I'll put a unique one into each form and then I'll, I'll use that script to uh, evenly distribute the the traffic so person one comes to the site they get website one person two comes they get website two person three comes they get website one again person four comes uh, clicks the link they get website two and so forth so it evenly distributes the traffic and then i get uh and then i look at my aweber web form stats and that tells me which page converted best and you can step-by-step uh, step go in and, and try, you know, one round of different headlines, one round of different body copy, one round of different images, and so forth. The only thing that I would strongly recommend there is that um, you only test one element at a time. So test all your headlines and test all your images and test all your quotes and so forth and so forth. Otherwise, you, you, if something outperforms something else, you won't know why. Um, so that that's testing in a nutshell. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the clock here, Scott. We've been going for nearly two hours. So we're going to wrap up in the next, you know, five minutes or so. So I'll, I'll answer as quickly as I can. Um, how, how many more questions are there? Uh, we could probably go until next Tuesday. I see. Uh, okay. Okay. So if I, if I did not answer your question, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. It's just too many to, to take on, uh, again, we're going to answer some more here, but, um, but you know, just, you know, apologize in advance for that. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know if, if you still have a question that you don't feel was ultimately addressed, you can always send an email to John at music marketing manifesto.com. And certainly if, uh, if you do take part in the workshop, then you'll have a chance to, um, uh, submit is, uh, you know, questions all day long. It'll be a much smaller audience. And, um, in every single coaching call, I make it a point to answer every question that came in. And, uh, of course you'll get a chance to submit your own copy and we can, we can more, uh, we can tailor the questions and answers to your specific campaigns. So, um, let's, let's rapid fire for a few more minutes here. 
Okay, George from San Marcos says, lately people have gotten more and more weary of internet marketers. I've seen some stacks of landing pages being more successful without pictures now. How does that shift relate to copywriting, and what can we do to make our copy less salesy and more authentic? Um, I don't, I don't see that. Um, I know I have, I've seen it in internet marketing spaces where, you know, pictures, you know, are kind of disappearing from copy. I've kind of seen that come and go over the years, to be honest. Um, all kinds of different things work. There's a lot of different people releasing a lot of different courses telling you that, you know, their test, their solution is, is the secret sauce. Um, you know, and some of it's true and some of it's just the results of one or two of their own tests that they've used as an excuse to publish something, frankly. Um, I, I don't, I, I think that, um, once we understand this stuff, uh, you know, we, we can't come to the table with too many preconceptions about what is going to work and what is not. And you, you need to take internet marketing, uh, case studies with a grain of salt because we are dealing with a different beast here when uh, promoting music. Many of those rules apply here, um, but especially when you get into the nuances of what works and what doesn't, many of those rules don't work. So um, I, I've never had success with the minimalistic squeeze page approach that I know some internet marketers are, are doing. Um, you know, are people more weary? I, I guess they're more sophisticated now than they were a long time ago. But that, but we're more sophisticated as marketers now too. I don't know. My conversion rates have been pretty steady for for ten or twelve years. I can always pretty easily uh, hit around twenty five percent with a really great page. It'll get up to around forty, and you know, the you know they can I can you can get zero percent if the if the page is terrible enough. So I haven't seen my my results changing that much over the years but our approaches change and rather than decide okay which approach works best i think testing is the thing that's going to get us there try that minimalistic uh, squeeze page uh, with your music and try one with an image and quotes and body copy and see which one performs better but my belief and what always leads my marketing is trying to mimic that real world conversation that's always what i fall back on that merch table method that i mentioned earlier in this call that is what um uh uh, dictates my initial choices. And then based on the results I get, I, I either refine or change gears altogether. Okay. Uh, Scott in Austin says, I've just gotten my first notable quote from a well-known artist. Do you think uh, a good way to start, uh, I'm sorry, to lead off a squeeze page or a blog post uh, so as to have it appear on the homepage of your WordPress template? Um, you know, it all depends. I mean, if they're, if they're really well known, then you can probably <clears throat> use it in a lot of different ways. You know, if it was, if it was, you know, Dr. Dre, you could target fans of Dr. Dre and say, you know, something like find out why Dr. Dre said, you know, X, Y, Z, um, and use that as something in your squeeze page and possibly your headline. Um, but it would obviously only have an impact on fans of Dr. Dre. That said, sometimes these quotes from celebrities don't really have as big of an impact as we think they're going to have because, again, it's it's not about just the endorsement. The endorsements matter. They do. But it's much more about that experience that our music ultimately offers. That's what people really care about. They're, they're, they're interested in their interests and passions, not just somebody's fame. Um, 
Again, I'm not saying what you've got is a bad thing. I'll just, I've got a quote from Elton John and Howard Stern, uh, for example, about my music. They said some nice things. Um, Howard Stern on a show and, and Elton John and, and a magazine, and I use that. And I've tried to lead campaigns with that, but it's never done better. Uh, it's never outperformed the, the simpler campaigns that speak to the, um, the experiences that um, people are uh, you know, that my audience is ultimately seeking. So if I'm targeting alt country fans, I speak to the the uh, the Americana imagery that alt country fans are interested in. And um, that does better than just saying, hey, Elton John said I'm great. Um, but you should totally use it on your squeeze page and, and, and as a quote um, to help uh, overcome that resistance. It, it's certainly valuable and certainly worth testing as a, as a bigger anchor or headline in your campaigns. The beauty of uh, tools like uh, Dynamic Creative is you can easily test it amongst other approaches and very quickly see what's uh, getting you the most and cheapest clicks. Okay, Brian in Sacramento says, hey John, this is awesome, thank you. So do you ever feel like as a musician, your journey has been so vast and overwhelming and awesome that it was actually difficult to find one nugget to focus on as brand? And if this hasn't been a problem for you, did you ever feel like you were killing other parts of your creativity by focusing on one thing as a brand? Thanks for giving this question to work. Uh, so, hey, Brian, it's Brian. He's an Insider Circle member. Good to, always good to have you on the calls. Um, so, no, I've never felt overwhelmed. You know, to me, it's about what story rises to the top, and that's the one you kind of lead with. Um, so, and you find the audience who that story is going to connect with. Um, so, um, I've never really found that to be a problem. I've never felt overwhelmed. I've never felt that there was too much to choose from, uh, choose from. And I personally never felt stifled trying to hone in on a brand, although I can imagine how perhaps someone might. Um, but I think more often than not, you know, it's, it's difficult enough to create one funnel and find one hook that, that ultimately works. And when, uh, you know, when we, when we do, we're plenty busy making music and recording and touring and communicating with fans to then to feel like, man, I'm, I'm really pigeonholing myself. At least that's my experience. So, I mean, probably not a profound answer, but no, I, I don't really feel that that's, that's been a problem and I don't really feel that limited, um, or, or that stifled. I just kind of grab onto one, one angle, the one that rises to the top and, and run with it. And, uh, if that angle sort of runs its course, I find another one that rises to the top, the next most interesting thing and kind of run with that. Um, but again, over the long run of sharing your story with your fans, Every one of those ideas, every one of those angles can become the fodder for a future blog post or interview or something that you can ultimately share with the fans. Um, so, Scott, um, I think it is. Let's take one more question and then we're going to kind of do a quick wrap up and, and sign off. OK, uh, let's go with Mary from Oakland. Uh, so the question is probably for later in your talk. How important is it and where in your algorithm do you think about knowing your fans? Is it necessary to define their demographic and what uh, if that demographic is broad? Won't this even determine how you talk to them, i.e. the kind of copy you are writing? Thanks. Um, so just so I understand, um, she's asking how, when I hone in on the ideal fan and figure out who they are um, in, the, in the sort of copywriting like process. Is that kind of what she's asking? 
Well, uh, how important is it, um, and uh, where do you think about knowing your fan? What do I think about knowing my fan? Okay, I'm going to answer this the so, way I think. Where, where, sorry, where do you think about it? So how important and, I guess, where in the process do you think about knowing your fan? Is it necessary to define their demographic? And what if that demographic is broad? I think it's exceptionally important. I don't think you can um, really rely on a broad demographic. I think it's important that you narrow down that that demographic. Um, and I think any, any audience can be narrowed down, you know, it doesn't need to be ultra narrow, but you know, you don't want, you you don't want to be looking at an audience full of, uh, you know, 20 million people. You want to be looking at it, maybe an audience of a few hundred thousand or a million people, something like that. So it is really important that you narrow it down to some extent, but I think it's really important that we know, um, our audience, even, even if we're not 100% correct um, about it. We need to start by making some assumptions about who our audience is so we can start to craft, um, you know, language that's that's dialed into someone. Um, you know, they they talk about this all the time with marketing. You know, um, uh, you can't try to please all the people or you'll please no one. You know, you really need to craft a a uh, a pretty precise message. And I kind of, and I know this is kind of over the top and geeky, but I kind of often recommend that people actually create a, a fan avatar and pin it up on their, on their wall of their rehearsal room or their, you know, of their desk, um, you know, go as far as find a stock image of someone's face and give them a name and you don't have to do all this, but, but it's healthy. Um, give them a name, write down, you know, make a, basically at least on a piece of paper, at the very least in your mind, create a fake Facebook profile for this person. How old are they? Where do they live? Um, uh, what movies do they like? What bands do they listen to? Uh, and and these kinds of, you know, really flush out this fictitious uh, profile so that, and, and if you name that person, you know, Jim, and he's a 35-year-old uh, Texan, then when, and you've pinned, and you've pinned up, and you've, you're looking at this guy, again, it's, the challenge here is to, uh, create copy, create a marketing funnel that mimics a real world experience, real world relationships, and then using the online marketing tools to scale that up. Um, so I think that it's really important that we start speaking to Jim, you know, and if we're looking at this fictitious person and believing that we're writing to that person, our copy becomes better because of it. And we don't write for us, we write for them. I'll give you another example of something that I do along these lines that's really helped me in the past is sometimes when I'm stuck and everything I'm writing is sounding dumb or cheesy or forced, I'll actually just go into my inbox, I'll open up an email, I'll type a friend's email address into the field. So let's say my buddy Sean, I'll I'll actually type his email name in. So if at any time I accidentally hit send, Sean would get this message. So it's, it becomes, even though, you know, I know that's not going to happen. I'm not really going to send it to Sean. Just the fierce, the sheer fact that what if I accidentally did send this to Sean? I I can't, I don't want to be embarrassed. I want, so I end up, I end up accidentally or uh, writing better copy because I'm speaking to a person rather than, um, 
just imagining myself as this great copywriter um, and writing what I think sounds good um, would, you know, and pretty quickly when you do things like that, you start going, oh God, Sean would laugh at me if you read this. So if, if your ideal fan, if your, your, your fictitious buddy Jim from Texas there would laugh at your email or your headline or your Facebook ad, then you know you're on the wrong track. And so I think it's really important from the very get-go, that's the first thing you want to decide, the first thing you want to hone in on is your target audience and uh um and and then you start crafting everything around that so it starts with the market and then you create the marketing to appeal to that market as opposed to um creating the funnel and then trying to find a market who is interested in it that's that's really what you're trying to do did i answer that scott i think so all right so i i think that that is us um uh again i do kind of sorry i'm flipping through slides here uh i do kind of want to um oh bear with me here uh, i do kind of want to once again well first off i want to thank you for being here for, for taking part in this i really appreciate it we went for two hours um you took a lot of time out of your day i really appreciate it i know that there were a lot of questions asked that we didn't have time to get to really sorry about that we certainly certainly did our best there um but uh you're always invited to uh shoot me an email if it's something i can I'm help with i will um, and, uh, you know, if you liked what you learned in this, um, webinar and you'd like to really dive into the subject of copywriting, really attempt to master the art of using words to sell music. That means writer writing better ads, writing better blog copy, uh, uh or blog content, writing better squeeze page uh, copy, writing better social media posts, and getting the results that you ultimately want to get um, and, and, and becoming more conscious of the process so that uh, you can do this over and over and over again for years to come, then do consider joining me for the Copywriting for Musicians Musicians uh, workshop. Uh, registration has uh, gone live as of this morning. Uh, you can find a, a registration uh, button there on the left-hand side of the screen, possibly below this uh, video, depending on where you're, you're watching it. Um, and uh, shortly after we conclude, I'll, I'll be throwing it up on the site. So you can always go to musicmarketingmanifesto.com and you'll find it there in the nav bar under products and services. I'll also send out a few emails and uh, send out a replay uh, of this webinar. But um, it's going to be a live four-week workshop. Uh, you'll be working pretty closely with me. There'll be a, a mix of pre-recorded lessons, live coaching calls, and um, you'll be invited to submit your own copy. And I can give you direct feedback on the work that you're doing. You can make some tweaks and submit it uh, again because we'll be having um, weekly coaching calls for a month. And I think it's going to be, um, you know, pretty cool. Um, again, it's, you know, it's not for everyone. This is, uh, uh, this is sort of, uh, you know, this is advanced marketing. This is for the person who um, has an understanding of this stuff, who's built funnels before, who who gets the importance of direct-to-fan marketing, but either wants to improve results or take them to the next level. Um, so that is it for today. Um, thank you guys once again. Thank you, Scott, for being here. Really appreciate it. Um, I'm on uh, three hours of sleep, and I'm kind of amazed that we got through this without uh, anything too calamitous happening. So, again, thank, thanks, you guys, for, for, well, for everything. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Take care, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to the Music Marketing Manifesto podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how you can market your music using the direct-to-fan strategies discussed on this show, then head on over to musicmarketingmanifesto.com and sign up for your free copy of the Music Marketing Blueprint. Once again, that's musicmarketingmanifesto.com.